live from the MacGyver Project Studios in sunny, warm Wisconsin. It's Nick with the Olympic Legends Podcast and the Outstanding Authors Podcast. If you're new to my podcasts, I have one about the Olympics and one about books, and this one fits both criteria, so it's a special joint edition podcast. Um, my guest today is Casey Fitzrandolph. He's a long track speed skater in the 500 and 1000 meters. Uh, he participated in the 1998, 2002, and 2006 Winter Olympics, and he won gold uh, in the 500 meters in 2002 in Salt Lake City. He currently works at an insurance company, and he also is also an accomplished guest speaker. Um, and he lives in Wisconsin, not too far from where I live, and so this podcast will be my first one that is in person, which will be fun. Um, in 2015, the Fitzrandolph family published a book called No Stone Unturned, written by Jesse Garcia. Uh, it's their family story, and it um, goes from the highest of highs, Casey's pursuit of the gold medal, um, and an eventual victory, um, to the lowest of lows, which was Casey's sister, Jesse, uh, being diagnosed with breast cancer and fighting valiantly for four years, and then passing away in 2014. Um, it's an excellent book. It's very honest, emotional, and moving, and I highly recommend it. Um, and then one last thing before we get started. This is my first Olympic Legends podcast that I've done since the passing of Dave Sim. Um, Dave was my second podcast guest, and I really enjoyed talking to him. He was an amazing person, and I just wanted to take a moment to acknowledge him and offer my condolences to his family. Um, so now let's start the podcast with Casey Fitzrandolph. All right, well, today I'm... Uh Joined by Casey Fitzrandolph, live in studio. Uh, so, Casey, thanks for joining me today. My pleasure. Um, so, I have a lot of speed skating questions for you. Um, one of the things that was interesting in your book was that you started when you were four. Yes, started speed I did. skating, and um, I was curious, kind of like what, from a physical or a genetic perspective, what made you a good speed skater, and in general, like what makes for a good speed skater? Good question. So, you know, I think one of the beauties of the sport of speed skating, in my opinion, is um, you don't need a specific body type. So okay. I look back at the three Olympics that I skated in, 98, 02, and 06, and in 02 when I won, my two biggest competitors were um, a Canadian who was one of my training partners at that time. I was living in Calgary, Alberta, and training with him. And he was about six foot three, you know, fairly, I don't want to say lanky because he had muscle mass, but, you know, mm -hmm. very spread out. Mm -hmm. And the other one was a five foot three Japanese guy that was <laughs> uh -huh. like this, we called him Pocket Hercules because uh -huh. he was just so muscle, you know, muscle bound. Um, and he really looked like a miniature body, like a, a miniature, like a smaller bodybuilder. So, you know, on one hand, you got the long, longer, taller guy, other mm. hand, short, and I was somewhere in between. So you could get it done with, with whatever and type body type you had. And then in terms of what, you know, I think what made you a good speed skater really depended on the distance. So I was a sprinter, mm. right? I focused on the 500 meters and the 1,000 meters, which in speed skating circles are the sprints. Mm. And, um, and those events last, you know, 34 seconds and a minute and seven seconds. Um, and so in order to be among the best in, in, you know, the sprints, you definitely needed a fair amount of explosivity in order to succeed at a sprint, you know, at a power slash sprint event like that. And then the longer distance guys, they needed, you know, their genetic uh, predispositions <laughs> were certainly different than, than a guy like mine. So they needed some of the, would it be red muscle fibers versus <laughs> white, right? Because they didn't need the fast twitch, but they mm -hmm. needed the endurance muscles. And so they needed to be able to, you know, process oxygen a little bit better. And they needed to work on their 
um, anaerobic capacity mm-hmm. uh, even more than we did. So they needed, you know, speed skating is a weird sport, right? You're down in this little, this hunched up position. You're bending your knees at, you know, 90 degrees, um, which means it's, it's, it's static and it's therefore anaerobic, meaning you can't flush the lactic acid that you're producing as quickly as you produce it, okay. like you can if you're just out for a run or a jog. Mm-hmm. And so you need to build up your capillaries, your blood vessels, mm-hmm. your whole blood transfer and oxygen, therefore, transfer system in order to try to get your body to flush as much of the, uh-huh. can, the, the byproduct mm-hmm. of, of the intense, you know, intensity as you can because your body's producing so much lactic acid mm-hmm. while you're out there. Were you a fast runner? If you're a fast runner by, you know, like, um, you know, compared to my high school classmates, yeah. fast runner, uh-huh. yeah. Um, but fast runner, you know, compared to, like, yeah. you know, on a world level, no. <laughs> right, right not, right. not even, you know, not even close. Right. So they called me wheels in high school. And by the time yeah. I was training with, you know, the other guys on the national uh-huh. team in America, I was very middle of the road. You okay. Know? So I was never the biggest, the quickest, or the strongest guy yeah. out there competing. Yeah. Um, but, you know, figure it out a way. And where would you put, um, uh, sprinting for speed skating on a pain scale compared to other sports? Mm-hmm. Like maybe I'm thinking about like either like sprinting and running or mm-hmm. running a marathon or, um, uh, like it, were you in agony <laughs> at the end of the race or, or yeah, good question. <laughs> uh-huh. 500 meters? No. I mean, you, okay. you know, you get, you can give it, it's 100%. Yeah. And if you've trained appropriately, and by appropriately, I mean train, you train as though you're competing at an event that is significantly longer than 34 yeah. seconds um, for some reason. Yeah. But if you trained appropriately, that went all right. You know, you're tired, of course, when you're done and breathing heavy, but it, mm-hmm. it was all right. 1,000 meters, when you get into 1,000 meters... Um, you know, we called it hitting the wall. You start yeah. to hit the wall. And um, so it's it's very intense pain, but because it's such an, a shorter duration, mm-hmm. you almost, you realize it's painful, but beyond just being painful, you lose function. Okay. Is it your quads your or your, your lungs? Yeah, it's, it's uh-huh. your quads, really. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's your legs, your yeah. quads, hammies, glutes. Yeah. Um, hmm. And so you can't keep pushing as hard mm-hmm. and fighting the centrifugal forces in the turn, yeah. the last turn, etc., as you could for the first, you know, while. And, and, you know, depending on the athlete and depending on just whether your legs and your body was treating you well that day mm-hmm. or not, you might hit that, start to hit that wall at, you know, as early as I'll say 500 ish meters. Mm-hmm. And you might not hit it until about 800 meters. Uh-huh. Um, as hard as we tried, you know, that was a million-dollar question. You try to figure out, well, what can I do to hit it at <laughs> yeah. 800 tomorrow, yeah. right? Uh-huh. <laughs> the Olympics versus the 500 meter. It was still, at the end of the day, a large yeah. part of uh, flipping the coin. Huh. But so painful, mm-hmm. um, but above and beyond just painful, it's a, you just there's a lack of function at some point. So, you know, it's easy for people watching to say, well, just suck it up. If it's yeah. enough or, you know, whoever, just try harder. Yeah. Right. But it's not that easy right. because your body literally just can't function at that intensity anymore. Once, is that, once you have yeah. so much lactic acid in there and you can't flush it. Is that true for, um, like, past 1,000 meters? Does, does, do they still hit the same spot, or are they going slower in the beginning so they don't they So don't 1,500 hit? is yeah. very similar. Okay. Um, you take just a little bit off, of yeah. course, up front, but okay. it's a little longer. So that's very, very painful and very, like, function-oriented. Mm-hmm. 
race. And then when you get into the long distances, the 5,000 and 10,000, mm-hmm. that's more, um, that's different. Mm-hmm. You're, I would say you're able to like suck it up a little bit more. It's still anaerobic mm-hmm. and you still lose function, but it's, it's a more gradual thing. Mm-hmm. And as a, as a sprinter, um, what was the training like? Like what percentage of the time were you on the ice versus like the weight room or even the pool or other? Yeah, another good question. So one thing people don't realize about speed skaters is that we spend as much time through the course of a season. And when by season, I mean, you know, the 11 months that mm-hmm. we, from the time we start training to the competitive season being done um, on the bike as we do on the ice. Mm-hmm. So we spend a ton of time off there. So okay. our season will start. I think it's the 1st of May. We take the, mm-hmm. the month of April off after mm-hmm. the season's over, more or less. And then we start training 1st of May. We don't, other than maybe a two-week camp, we don't really get on the ice until about the 1st of September, uh-huh. or mid-September even uh-huh. sometimes. So you got May, June, July, and August. Mm-hmm. You have four months there where it's all pretty much all off ice. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once we get on the ice, 1st of September, there through you know the end of March, we're on the ice you know, once a day, meaning mm. once every training day, so six days a week. And then that second workout is still typically off the ice. So mm-hmm. a lot of cycling, a lot of um, lower body and and torso, i.e. core mm-hmm. strength training, a um, lot of, you know, hill sprints, six to eight mm-hmm. seconds kind of over and over, mm-hmm. or hill tempos for any 30 to 90 mm-hmm. seconds and over and over, which you lose your cookies after. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and... Uh, um, yeah, just a lot of different stuff. Either real explosive jumps or weights and resistance uh-huh. or down in the skating position or all of the above. Did you ever do the Elver Park Hill? Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. If there's a hill or a park, you can name yeah. a hill or a park yeah. in uh-huh. southern Wisconsin yeah. and or yeah. northwestern Wisconsin. <laughs> yeah. That's really good. I've been there. Yeah, I know that's a big, big hill for runners i never tried it but maybe maybe someday i want to park blackhawk yeah. ski you know the private little ski yeah, um, yeah. jumps out there yeah. and ski hill yeah okay. maybe that's another one you used to do the steps out there yeah. okay well i want to ask you about short versus long track mm-hmm. um i personally I, I think short track is my favorite winter olympic event to watch just because mm-hmm. it's kind of like roller derby on ice and there's crashes and you never know what's going to happen it's really yeah. exciting um i was just wondering like what um like if you ever tried short track and um kind of how you'd compare and contrast the two as far as like um like i don't know maybe which one will be harder to cross over or if there's like a rivalry between the two <laughs> sure all good questions yeah. i've done both yeah uh, in fact i skated both through about mm. 17 18 okay. years oldish and, and your I... sister was a short track short yes. tracker too yeah. yeah good call so yeah. So we grew up doing both. Yeah. Um, back then, when you're you know a kid, until you really knew which one you wanted to focus on, you'd do short track in the fall months for a okay. couple months, mm. and then in the middle of winter you'd do long track because there were a lot more outdoor rinks mm-hmm. um, and it was cold enough. And then in the spring, a couple months you'd go back to short track. Short track is very exciting to watch. I agree with you. Mm-hmm. It's perhaps my favorite yeah. uh, winter Olympic sport to watch. I'm. I'm biased. I love watching <laughs> yeah. long track too, but mm-hmm. um, but it's I can see from a spectator perspective mm-hmm. why it's so enjoyable. Um, and yet I got out of that and went to long track um, for the very same reason that's so fun to watch. You don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. And I didn't want to <laughs> put you know twenty odd years, some odd years of my life right. into a sport and then go to the starting line and flip the proverbial coin. Right. And, you know, hoping that uh, nobody makes a 
bad pass on me or hey. takes me out. You know what I mean? <laughs> I wanted I wanted to have as much control of my own destiny as I could. I I guess you it's probably safe to call me a bit of a control freak, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah. I wanted to be in an individual sport <laughs> right, right. where there's no judging, there's, yeah. you know, the clock doesn't lie, the best, the fastest yeah. man wins that day, and, mm-hmm. you know, second place is, you know, mm-hmm. I don't want to say thanks for coming, but, right. you know. Right. So there's a little bit, the other question you asked, you know, is there any, yeah. you know, kind of competitiveness between the two sports? No, I'd say in a friendly way. You know, we yeah, joke right. with each other yeah, about yeah. which is harder, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and um, it's interesting you mentioned the control because I, I thought of the same thing. That it seems like long track, you'd have um, like just so much more control. But yet, even then, it seemed like there were still things that happen out of your control. Like in your gold medal race, the cone comes over and hits you, or and the whole business of the, the clap skate, right? Uh, which is really interesting. Um, it has observations. You're right. I was kind of curious about, like, kind of before a race, um, uh, you know, because, like, so much is kind of, I guess, kind of, like, more in your control with with, with long track. Like, how nervous did you typically get? Because um, with the gold medal run, it seemed like you were, from the book, like, you were really relaxed and kind of at peace with, like, whatever happens, happens. Which I think is really cool. It's almost like you put, like, all the preparation in and... Um, whatever happens is, is going to happen. Was it normally like that or were you normally like really nervous or a little nervous and how did you kind of manage that? I spent, there was a point in my career and it was somewhere between 1998. Well, I always spent a fair amount of time kind of playing with mm-hmm. my own psyche Yeah, and, and kind of, I, I think I had the ability, um, and others have it, but but maybe not a lot of yeah. others, um, to take a step back from the situation, move myself from the situation, and and kind of um, think about what I need to gain from a situation mm-hmm. psychologically. Yeah. And um, whether it was, you know, going into the competition during or coming out, mm-hmm. depending on whether I succeeded or failed. And, um, and so... In 98, when I went to Japan, I was, you know, 6th in the 500 and 7th in the 1,000 meters. Not bad, but bad compared to yeah. where I'd been the year before if it, and where I believe I would have been if it weren't for the collapse right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, one could consider that a failure. And, you mm-hmm. know, from a strictly from a placing perspective, um, I would be <laughs> I would be one of those that would consider <laughs> a failure. Yeah. And yet I knew going, coming out of 98... I'd watched Dan Jansen, you know, with his mm-hmm. sister passing when he was in Calgary in the, at the 88 games mm-hmm. and falling down, and then the struggles that he had throughout the rest of the 88 Olympics and through the 92 Olympics mm-hmm. and his first race in 94 um, before he finally won the last race in, in Lillehammer in 94. And, I, and I, it was very obvious to me that the Olympics are a unique animal. They mm-hmm. come once every four years, and... Just like anything else in life, if you've gone there once and it was a bad experience mm-hmm. and you log it in your head mentally right, as a right. bad experience, good luck getting over that the next time you yeah, go, right? right? It just makes your mountain that much higher. Mm-hmm. So coming out of 98, I look back and I said, 6th, 7th, it's not where I wanted to be. But given how late in the game I was able to acquire a pair of these new skates mm-hmm. um, and therefore where I was, you know, Two weeks before the Olympics, even getting 25th place, 6th and 7th, actually, Casey, you know, you should be really excited about that. Your mm-hmm. learning curve was, you know, 
immense and it mm -hmm. was impressive and so look at look at the Olympics as a positive experience and as one that you were able to harness the energy and the butterflies mm -hmm. in a positive way. So I walked out of 98 with that in my head. Um, and then as I got about a year or a year, maybe two out from, a year and a half out from the Salt Lake Games in 02, I really started preparing mentally. I knew this was going to be my best shot. I mean, age-wise, I was in my prime. Yeah. No more excuses with the skates, you know, home soil. Mm -hmm. It was, you, you know, I was living for it, right? Yeah. And, and so, yeah, how can you not think about the fact that it means, quote, unquote, everything? Yeah, right? a lot of pressure. Yeah. Right. And, and I thought, you know, my gosh, um, this is the logical way to feel emotionally, but it's probably a detrimental way to feel as mm -hmm. well because you're setting yourself up for failure right. if, you, if, if anything doesn't go quite right. right. So... I told myself in April of 2001, 10 months before the Olympics and, you know, just before I was about to embark on my physical training for that season, that I needed to do two things mentally. One, I needed to prepare um, for the unexpected. And mm -hmm. part of that meant silly things like a cone flying into my yeah. plane. Not <laughs> that I anticipated that one, but, you know, just the unknowns the right, day right. of and right. how to put them behind you and mentally focus on what's coming up next in the race mm. and and then also the unknown surrounding hey you know a, a fear of failure and dealing with the fear of failure so what if something happens right. and you, I needed to be okay with that mm. um, and then the other half of the mental preparation was visualization and visualizing mm. myself skating the right way the perfect mm. race over mm. and over in my head and the the um, uh, medal ceremony what was it like up on the podium when you think back to Back to that. Yeah. Um, that was a, it was a whirlwind of emotions, but I remember the emotions mm -hmm. specifically. For, I, I always thought I'm going to get up on the podium and, and you know, get teary-eyed and yeah. sentimental. And I remember that starting to happen. But then I remember just flat out being relieved, mm -hmm. relieved that it was over um, and that I had accomplished what I always believed I could but never knew with certainty right. would. And then I remember being excited, and mm -hmm. then I remember being um, proud of everything I had given up and a kind, you know, sacrificed to, to get there. And then I remember being thankful mm -hmm. that I was, you know, had a good day on the right day and afforded the opportunity. Mm -hmm. I remember being, um, uh, well, in with proud. I remember being proud to be an American and pay the patriotic side. And then mm -hmm. the last feeling that I had was, um, was one of sadness. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, where do what do I, what now? I've heard what that's a next? common thing, actually, yeah. You know, your right. entire life, as right. long as you know it, because right. you don't remember back past four, right. was about this moment and yeah. this, you know, accomplishment. Mm -hmm. What in the world are you going to do next? Right. And I remember thinking it's, it's like, it would have to feel like climbing the highest mountain right. in the world as a mountain mm -hmm. climber. Mm -hmm. you, you get a sense of what's the point mm -hmm. now. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. you know? and and so you know as we sit here today yeah. Nick, and it's 2016 yeah. so you know, I've been retired for 10 years yeah. and it's been 14 since I won um, I'm not going to kid you Yeah, there's still been no parallel right. to that emotionally yeah and, no, I don't see it there could be yeah. I don't think there ever will right. I mean, you're proud when your kids are born right, right. you're right. proud of your kids etc right. but you don't you don't 
you don't give the amount of no. sacrifice or blood, sweat, and tears mm-hmm. to produce a tangible, best in the world, right. period. Nobody can debate that, you know, result mm-hmm. right. in, you know, your kids, in, a, you know, I'll call it a day job, etc. So right. hard to... Yeah. Gonna be hard to duplicate. <laughs> do you um, ever put on the skates just for fun, or how often do you, do you go on the ice? So our kids are members of the Madison Speed Skating Club. Okay. Uh, you know, uh, so we get out once a week, and I, okay. I lace them up with them yeah. in the club, and we get out once a week from you know October through yeah. into March or into April. Okay. And so, that's about it. So, so, so the book talks about how you would have to go to Milwaukee to train, so they don't, they don't have to go to Milwaukee to train? <laughs> no, so mom and dad, yeah. our dad, I should say, yeah. you know, is kind of like, hey, kids, I, I think it's great and I want to introduce you to speed skating yeah. and have you try it, but I'd be lying if I said I want to relive, yeah. you know, the experiences, the intensity. Right. And sacrifice mm-hmm. for another 20 years. Yeah. So, no, we've not done that. And do you, do you follow... Um, international speed skating closely you know people like me just really watch the olympics but i imagine there's probably like world championships and stuff online you could probably watch are you up on the latest news and i'm not yeah okay i'm not <laughs> you're right i should be watching like nbc universal you're, you're right yeah, that yeah. Has a lot of the olympic stuff and um i'm not you know mm. for for a while there i paid you know for maybe a quadrennium yeah you know after i was done i we paid fairly close attention because we knew all the names yet right, right? you know you knew all the people right. so you knew the the good the proverbial good guys yeah, the guys yeah. you wanted to cheer for yeah. um but that's changed over time so you know i know the names and i've met a fair amount of kids on the u.s team but beyond mm-hmm. that i don't know i don't know a lot of people mm-hmm. on, on a worldwide basis anymore so um yeah. i've turned into you know more of a fair weather mm-hmm. fan as well an olympic fan and how about the Summer Olympics? Will you watch that pretty, yes, pretty because, closely? Because while I don't follow speed skating, yeah. you know, um, on a on a continual basis, mm-hmm. I've become a bigger Olympic fan than yeah. I ever was when I was competing. Mm-hmm. Um, so now I really look yeah. forward to both the, the Summer and the Winter yeah. Olympics. Yeah, and we really we enjoy them. And what would be the number one piece of advice um, if you were are talking to young skaters or a kid in Wisconsin who wants to go to the Olympics, win the gold medal? What do you think would be like the number one thing you'd well, want to tell them? That's easy. Okay. I'm not easy. Not, <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. When I say easy, I don't mean. Yeah, you know, it doesn't mean that my answer is the right answer. Right, right. But I, it's easy to easy, give you my yeah, answer. Yeah. My answer, and I would be two things. So okay. excuse me, but yeah. I'm going to take two. <laughs> the first one is to. Um, believe yeah. you've got to believe in yourself mm-hmm. now it doesn't mean you're never going to have doubt right. but you in in so my favorite saying is believe and you can achieve mm-hmm. and that's how i like to sign things when i sign for folks etc mm-hmm. um, um but you have to believe that you can do it mm-hmm. now that that doesn't mean that you need to know in your head beyond a shadow of a doubt that you will do it right i mean that's yeah you know but you have to believe that it's possible right um, if you're willing to do the second thing, which is never give up, mm-hmm. you need to be willing to work your tail off mm-hmm. over and over and over again. So it's a belief and a mm-hmm. persistence. Mm-hmm. Two words. And then I um, just wanted to ask you about the book too. Um, how did your family decide to to write the book, and what kind of feedback have you gotten on it so far? Because it's been out for. Um, it's about a year now or six months? Six months, yeah. 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 Um, why did we decide to do it? Yeah. Um, because 
you know, my folks, we had taught. So after I won, um, a couple of folks approached from like New York, I think, approached mm-hmm. um, approached me about writing a book. Yeah. And I kind of thought, you know what? One gold medal does not a book make <laughs> right yeah. in of itself. Mm-hmm. Um and but I'd always kind of thought, and I joked with my folks, kind of said, you know, mom and dad, you guys are the ones that should really write the book because you know you basically raised a mm-hmm. gold medal. You raised a child to become the best in right. the world at what they were. I mean, mm-hmm. it was pretty. Um, this was not a yeah, kiddies go, you know, go to the park and <laughs> play and have yeah. fun. No, this was a kids. Yeah, you know, you're going to learn in life that you know winning. There's winning and losing, mm-hmm. and winning is a good thing, and mm-hmm. winning is important. And you know, and you're gonna, you know, show a commitment, and we're gonna show a commitment. And here's, you know, kind of how this mm-hmm. is gonna go if you want, if you really want to succeed. So it was, it was by design. So I thought it should be from their perspective, if if, if anybody in the family ever did write a book, and it still didn't happen until, of course, Jesse's um, cancer diagnosis. And um, once she was diagnosed, and it was at stage four breast cancer, then. Um, uh, you know, so she's told at age, you know, 30, was it one at the time that she is going to die of, you know, of cancer. Mm-hmm. At that point, it became not just a, t- a story or a tale, but it became mm-hmm. two mm-hmm. tales, right? It became um, a, kind of a family's perspective, but really, let's say a mother and father's perspective of living, of leaving no stone unturned um, through both the pursuit of kind of crazy highs, i.e., mm-hmm. you know, gold medal and, you know, the lowest of lows, mm-hmm. you know, a deceased child and daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, and how the philosophies were pretty similar with both, even though, you know, the circumstances and end results couldn't be any mm-hmm. more different. Right. So that that's why, yeah. um, that's why it was written. They just felt like, um, they felt like they had a, story that was exceptional in terms of the highs and the lows mm-hmm. um and that they and that they hoped people could garner some things mm-hmm. from in terms of their approach and yet also they felt the average family could also probably relate because whether it's gold medals right. and children passing or you know um uh, you know kid making you know the band and you know skinning their knee the moral of the story is everything in life is relative mm-hmm. and every family has their highest highs and their lowest lows and mm-hmm. they live through them together and they deal with them the way the best way they know how mm-hmm. and so they thought that they hoped that you know that people could relate mm-hmm. in that regard as well mm-hmm. um so that's why and then in terms of level of interest mm-hmm. um and feedback you know the feedback that we've received has been has been re- really really positive mm-hmm. and when I say positive, I don't necessarily mean positive like, oh, what a fun right, right. <laughs> right? I mean positive like, wow, uh, thank you for sharing. That was really mm-hmm. honest. That's actually um, what I was just going to say was I was really impressed with the whole book is just very honest. And, um, you know, from everybody's perspective, you really put everything on the table. And I thought that really made it authentic. Well, thank you. And, and as you said, it's not like a barrel of fun, but, you know, it's definitely a powerful story and um definitely one worth reading <laughs> well i appreciate that yeah i appreciate that um, yeah we kind of looked at it and we kind of said you know look what are the odds we're gonna you know yeah. make the proverbial million dollars well yeah. you know not you know that's not why we're doing this <laughs> but let, if we're gonna share a story let's make sure it's true yeah and I, I like how your family really seemed like 
like uh, independent thinkers in the sense that like you didn't just take what people told you. Um, and I imagine this factors into your speed skating too about the, the belief in achieve, but you know, like what the doctors would say and, and you, know, you weren't just taking that at face value, you were, um, you know, doing a lot of research on the internet and talking to people and just, <laughs> you know, really, um, you know, really, uh, going all out. And so I thought that was cool. Yeah. Yeah. We don't, um, you know, some people, are born yeah. not knowing when to quit. Yeah. It seems like for both <laughs> yeah, your parents, too, you get a d- double dose of that. Is that right? Right. Yeah. right. <laughs> right. And, you know, yeah, and then, and, you know, for better and worse. And I mean, yeah. for both, you know, right. inherited that trait. Of, right. Yeah. It's a double sword. <laughs> yeah. Right. It really is. I, I believe it. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I really appreciate your time. That's all the questions I have. So, all right. yeah. Thank you very much. Well, thanks, Nick. I appreciate it. Yeah. Your- So thanks again to Casey for talking with me today. Um, That was a lot of fun to talk speed skating. I thought it was really interesting how he said that in the 1,000-meter races, the skaters start to lose body function around the 800-meter point, and then they're just trying to hang on at the end. Um, I'll keep an eye out for that next time I watch that race at the Winter Olympics. Uh, Once again, his family book is No Stone Unturned by Jesse Garcia. If you have any questions or comments, uh, feel free to email me at sweeto37 at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter at Project MacGyver, and my blog is themacgyverproject.blogspot.com. Thank you for listening.